Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Please check us out at consumerguide.com. Be sure to check out our 2020 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or a crossover. Be sure to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we've driven here at Consumer Guide, plus a healthy dose of fun auto-related stuff. All right. Let's see who's online with us today. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide Automotive. He's president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and he has a hard time distinguishing between mauve and plum on a color chart. He is Damon Bell. I'm very good at distinguishing ochre, though, from mauve. <laughs> ochre? You can do ochre? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I can spell oh, it, too. I think it's O-C-H-R-E. So you're is way the, ahead the, of the is game. Is the H? Yeah. <laughs> what about salmon? Can you pick out salmon on a color chart? Ah, uh, sure. I can do that. All right. I'm pretty color adept, I would say. Oh. I had this wrong then. You're it good might with be one color. Of, yeah, it might be one of my biggest strengths. Okay. All right. Today, Jill is taking care of some personal business and uh, can't be here, but she swears she'll be back next week. After the first break, we are joined in studio, not in studio, online by Kirk Bell. He is the senior editor at Motor Authority. If you've been reading about cars for a while, you've likely read something Kirk has written. Kirk Kirk joins us today to share the fascinating tale of how he tracked down his father's drag car. You don't want to miss this story. But first, Damon, you've got some news you think is worth talking about. I do. You know, we're, we're all kind of working our way through uh, the coronavirus pandemic and things are changing on a, on a day-to-day basis. And there's lots of uh, disheartening news out there, to say the least, but there are some silver linings as well. And as businesses adapt to the new reality that this has brought on, I guess we could say that there are some small silver linings. And there was an article uh, that was published last week in Forbes uh, on Forbes's website about uh, the title of the article is coronavirus pushes auto dealers to remove customer pain points. And the process of buying a new car is, not something that a lot of consumers relish. It seems like there's a lot of hurdles to jump through and haggling that happens. And it's uh, something that I think a lot of consumers would find a, a painful process, but it does appear that dealers are really having to change uh, their models and processes in the wake of social distancing and all the other things that the coronavirus has caught on. So or the other the, that the coronavirus has brought on. And I guess one of the things that that is changing is that more things have to happen uh, virtually and not in person. And that could have the upside of uh, shortening that long process to actually getting a new car. Yeah. And, and that long process isn't necessarily long in terms of days. It's long in terms of the day you decide to actually purchase a car. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and then it can be awful. And, and I sold cars for a while. I know that this process is this process and it can take three, three and a half, sometimes four hours to buy a car. By the time you've actually gotten in the car, you want to test drive, spent your time haggling. And then you have to go in what they call the F and I room and talk to the F and I guy, which is finance and insurance. And he tries to sell you all sorts of stuff, which drags out the process. And then all (laughs) the paperwork you're looking at having committed pretty much most of a day to buying a car. And, and what's interesting is that the right. virus now is, is pulling ahead something that every manufacturer wants dealers to do, but I believe dealers are kind of reluctant to do. 
Now, we remember back in 2004, Scion was supposed to be this. This was Toyota's youth brand, and, and young hipsters were supposed to be able to go online, order, spec out, and customize their vehicle, and just go to a dealership and pick it up. But in fact, you had to go through right. the whole delivery process anyway. And, and you've got yeah. some 24-year-old with some money in his pocket from graduation, and, and he's got to go to a dealership and deal with a traditional salesman who's trying to pay off his big screen TV. And, and that's a clash <laughs> of heads that may not end in a car sale. But I was yeah. thinking a little bit about it, it, this. Oh, go ahead, Damon. Yeah, I was just going to say, interesting that you bring up Scion because that is – yeah, that was, and obviously the Scion brand is no more. Uh, it was discontinued a couple years back uh, as in some ways it's reason for being had kind of run its course, but yeah, you're reminding me of what uh, an ambitious project that was when it was launched in the early two thousands. And it was going to be this thing that was going to upend the normal uh, car purchase process with a clear focus on that young buyer. But over the years, not surprisingly, the it, some of that unusual uh, stuff about the purchase process, interesting stuff about the purchase process just went away and it sort of was folded into Toyota as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the online buying thing, which was demanded by some people, and if you've purchased a Tesla, okay, you've done this. But I think a lot of people haven't been pushing hard enough for this. And, and this is where you end up with a really interesting um, um, manufacturers playing at, at different angles. They want dealerships to be ready to do online sales and to make these processes easier. But they also expect dealers to spend considerable money on their dealerships. The latter of which right. seems pointless if people aren't going to those dealerships. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and one of the one of the yeah one of the statistics in this article to that point, uh, they, there was a, a survey done, and uh, uh, there was an international consulting firm did a survey that revealed sixty four percent of potential buyers today, they said they prefer to keep the entire transaction of of buying a personal vehicle online. Uh, and that's the, that number is up from 39% before the pandemic. So obviously coronavirus has, has caused a spike in consumer desire to have a completely virtual car buying process or as close to it as can possibly be had. Yeah, yeah. And this is going to have some lasting effects. I mean, th things will normalize a little bit afterwards, but people who got used to doing most of this online are going to remember that process and want to shop that way again. But but I was talking about how this is at odds with what dealers are expected to do. Um, back in 2018, Nissan began a program called N-Ready, which was the Nissan Retail Environment uh, Design Initiative. And dealers were spending mm. several million dollars to redesign their dealerships. Now, there's one out in... Uh, I think it's Arlington Heights, Illinois, and it might be a Bob Rorman store. If you're a Chicago resident, you know who that is, but he's a he's a big yeah. dealer. But this store is huge. It's clean. It's it's impressive looking. You can see it from literally a quarter mile away down the street. And, and all this money went into this design and into this lot, and it's super well stocked. And none of this means anything if you're shopping online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all, all these things that you did to get people to come to your dealership, and, and maybe you spent money on staff training and to make people feel comfortable, uh, none of this matters anymore because you are now becoming a commodity dealership. Every dealership has the same product, and all you're doing now is entering into a price war with other dealers. Right. So it's a very weird situation, and, it, and this may have very long-term implications for what it means to be an automotive retailer. Right. And I, and I guess a, a, it could be by extension, and it could be that, that those uh, kinds of dealership differentiators, the dealership that can offer the most rich and immersive uh, 3D walk-around experience – you know, who's kind of uh, accelerated more into the digital space. Maybe they are the dealership that gets a leg up, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's actually the point. I think that, that the dealers that work best with the virtual reality sales process, and actually there's a salesperson with a name and a face that's involved in that process, that might be the way to go. Right. All right. So we'll see where that takes us. But uh, hey, Damon. Yes. You drive test cars sometime. Have you driven anything uh, interesting recently? 
Yeah, and and it's a it's a type of vehicle that I I would say those of us at least uh, me at Consumer Guide we sometimes kind of roll our eyes at them, uh, <laughs> and that is the the <laughs> the fastback. Uh, coupe roofline bodied uh, SUV. And we had one of those through our test fleet recently, and that is the redesigned for 2020 BMW X6. Uh, and the X6 is essentially a uh, sportier bodied version of BMW's X5 midsize crossover SUV. Um, Again, it's just essentially uh, an X5 with a sloped fastback roofline, um, and again, I it, it's something it's a it's a vehicle genre that I kind of scratch my head at. But what do I know? Because uh, this 2020 version, the uh, generation of the X6, uh, is the third generation of the vehicle. So obviously, a vehicle doesn't make it to a third generation without people buying it. And uh, BMW is not the only manufacturer that does this, though it seems to be predominantly the European manufacturers. Uh, Mercedes-Benz has coupe versions. Uh, I think Porsche is doing a coupe version of the Cayenne this year. Right. Um, so it, it, typically, it, it, I just think of an SUV as an inherently more utilitarian vehicle than a passenger car. And uh, a higher ride height, uh, higher body uh, height that goes along with that, it just seems incongruous to me to slap a uh, low-slung roofline on that. Uh, but I guess as the market changes and SUVs are coming, are, are continue to become the more default vehicles, this is what a, a sporty variant is. And, and there are people out there who not only want it, uh, but very importantly for manufacturers are willing to pay extra for it. So, so that's why they exist. And it is a relatively small uh, pool of vehicles overall, but uh, there are uh, a, a, more than one manufacturer that offers them and people buy them. Yeah, it, it, it is. So this process now, the, the coupe version of the crossover uh, at BMW is entrenched now, and they actually have a naming structure for it. All their crossovers begin with the letter X. The names of them begin with the num letter X. And then if you have an even number, two, four, or six, that's your coupe version of your one, right. three, <laughs> or five. So it's it's there. And in terms of the X five, the X five, BMW sold 55,000 X fives last year and 5,000 X sixes, but each X six went for at least five grand more. So exactly. Yeah. Profit motive is. And, and at, yeah. And at that, at that, uh, profit point there, they don't need to sell as many of them. And nope. again, it's, it's, uh, it's using the, the, guts of an x5 so it's not an all-new vehicle but it's a distinctive enough version that uh yeah it stands out and and for 2020 i will say this the the 2020 x6 is a remarkably uh nice execution of this concept and oh, yeah. i was impressed on the this vehicle that they really did with this redesign take steps to to make the x6 stand out more from the x5 it's got some great looking uh, slim wide taillights and they've relocated the license plate. So it sits a little lower. One thing I actually like about the X6 over the X5, um, the X5 has one of those split uh, tailgates where there's a lift gate portion uh, and then a small section that folds down like a tailgate. It's very short. I've never yeah. been much of a fan of that arrangement because it sort of forces you to stand you know, another eight to 10 inches further back from the, the load floor of the cargo area. Uh, some people like it that way. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. And the X6 uh, has a traditional lift gate uh, without that little flip down tailgate section. Uh, that's something I prefer. And, and when you walk around the vehicle, there's, there are some very interesting creases and styling details in the body that are unique to the X6 uh, that the X5 doesn't have. So uh, I give them props for, for making it more distinctive uh, and standing out from the X6 more than, or from the X5 than it has in the past. Yeah, and uh, from but the you driver's seat. Oh, go uh, ahead, Dan. I would, uh, you, you certainly pay extra for 
the the privilege of having the the flashier styling. Uh, but the other elements of the higher uh, starting prices is the X6 does come with more standard features uh, than the X5. So you are getting uh, more content to start with. Yeah, the X6 also holds its value about as well as the X5. So you get some of that money back at resale time. And, and from the driver's seat, this is very much an X5, which is to say it's roomy. It's fun to drive. It's, it's very much a BMW. There's no compromise up front. And the rear seat space isn't as compromised as you would think. You lose about an inch of headroom and an inch of knee room, near as I can tell. So it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not huge. What you lose is a lot of cargo space. You lose about 18% of the cargo space. Right. Well, and, and one thing, too, just in, in closing, uh, the X6 that we had was the base uh, X-Drive 40i model. Um, and as base engines go, quote unquote, base engines go, <laughs> the the turbocharged three liter six cylinder in the X6 and the X5, two for that matter, is a sweetheart of an engine. Uh, 335 horsepower, just uh, a fantastic power plant, smooth and strong, and uh, certainly not a fuel miser, but it does okay economy-wise considering uh, the power that's on tap. We averaged about 20 miles per gallon with a slight majority of city driving. Again, that's not fuel sipper status, but given how gutsy this power plant is, that's a respectable number. Yeah. This is this is actually a really nice vehicle. It's it's just you know you're paying a little bit more money for an esoteric upgrade, uh, and, and if you want to do that, I really wouldn't make fun of you for it. Mm-hmm. But we All will right. put uh, we, yeah we've got uh, we've got the full review on our website, so uh, we'll put a link to that on our uh, car stuff uh, Facebook page this week to check it out. Sounds good. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Kirk Bell of the Motor Authority. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thank you for joining us today. This is the part of the show where I remind you that you could be following me on Twitter right now. Your life would be different. It would be more entertaining if you did so. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Car Guy Tom, be sure and give me a follow. All right. Our guest today has seen his work published in the Chicago Tribune, the New York Daily News, and MSN Autos. He has spent some time with us here at Consumer Guide Automotive as well. He has edited several award-winning books, including Hot Rod and Custom Chronicle and NASCAR Chronicle. Today, he is the senior editor at the Motor Authority and a North American Car of the Year juror. He is Kirk Bell, and he's online right now. Kirk, how's it going? It's great, gentlemen. The, those time, the time with you was the worst years of my life. <laughs> worst years oh. oh wait a minute the best years the best years <laughs> always getting worse and best sir. mixed up uh. <laughs> well i'm sure that you were someplace home sanitizing your hands and just waiting for a phone call that's exactly it yes and, and playing with my are phone. you sto- are you are you stocked up on wipes kirk uh i have a small cache of wipes a small cache okay. of wipes which is a good name for a chapter of your autobiography. All right. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, tell us a little bit about your work at the Motor Authority. Uh, for First of all, there's no the in Motor Authority. It's motorauthority.com, the website. Uh, though I do work with another website called The Car Connection, so maybe that's why you got it screwed up. Um, so we were talking <laughs> as a group about cars that... Um, that got us interested in cars as kids. And that gave me an idea to do a story that uh, actually Damon has plays a little part in. That's Damon, right. Talk about that. Yeah. So I, so all of us belong to a, an automotive media press association called the Midwest automotive media association. And every spring, although sadly not this one due to the pandemic, uh, we, have a big event up at the Road America Race Course in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, uh, called the Spring Rally. Uh, happens late May uh, every year. Um, and 
it there there's both uh we drive cars on the track we have an off-road facility at the the on the road american browns but there's also street drives and that is a big part of it maybe the big part of the event we would get about a uh, hundred or so cars uh, new vehicles from the manufacturers uh, and the roads around road america are gorgeous it's kettle moraine area of wisconsin um and there's some just small highways kind of rural highways and the routes that i would always take when i was taking cars out on street drives at the spring rally went past this uh gentleman's estate uh his kind of little small farm plot and he always had cool stuff there uh seemingly kind of chevy and gm centric uh tri five chevys he was just a cool you could tell he's a cool hot rodder guy who had various uh project cars in in various degrees of decay or completion and i think this would have been about 2015 is that right kirk 2015 or 16 2015 15 yep yeah. So whenever I take cars out on a street drive, I would always crane my neck to look at what that guy had in his lot. And when I was driving at the 2015 event, I'm like, wow, that is a 63 Pontiac Tempest, uh, the shell of a 63 Pontiac Tempest that's got some race car lettering on it. And I knew from working with Kirk that his dad raced a 63 Pontiac Tempest drag car. And I did a double take I'm like, there. and and I knew that that Kirk had kind of been sniffing around the possibility of finding the car and uh, uh, getting it if it was still around. And so I saw it and I'm like, I, could that possibly be Kirk's dad's car? So I hightailed it back to uh, the Road America track, tracked down Kirk and said, hey, I think I found what could be your dad's car. So we piled into a vehicle and went out uh, with Kirk to to check it. And sure enough, it was. Uh, but but that's uh, the, the, the serendipity of that. And the truth is stranger than fiction element of that is astonishing because uh, the odds of it being at that place at that time and and. I believe, Kirk, you said you were doing street drives as well, but just didn't notice it for one reason or the other. Actually, I pass that way when I go up there, and I always make sure to look in there because, yeah, he's got, tends to have old drag cars and 50s Chevys and, like, Anglias and stuff. And he usually has a Pontiac or two in there. And I, I looked, but, you know, I was going by at 60 miles an hour, and I just didn't see it, which is surprising. Um, so I don't do the drives around there, but I always do look at that lot. Yeah. So, but it, as it turned out, like that was, that was a key part of the connection, but there was, you were, you were searching for it before then and had, uh, some near misses, uh, with it before then, because didn't, wasn't it determined that it was, it was at that guy's farm place because, he had recently purchased it at the Jefferson swap meet. Yeah. So the thing is that I had known where the car was for a few years, but as of a month earlier, I had lost track of it. So maybe I should back up now. Um, this yeah. is a car that he drove at great lakes Dragaway in union Grove, Wisconsin throughout the seventies. And uh, it went 10.76 in the quarter mile. And I remember the car doing 13s, 12s, 11s, getting down to 10s. And, um, and then he sold it in like 1981 to a guy who sort of helped him pit crew. And the guy, I only knew him as Tank. <laughs> and okay. in, around, in around 2009, I'm like, man, I wonder where that car is. Maybe I was looking for a car. Maybe I... Maybe I could get that car. And, but I only knew him as Tank. Strangely enough, one of my best friends went to diesel mechanic school with Tank and only knew him as Tank. So there was no way to find <laughs> out what his name was. Yeah. So I, so I sent, I, I thought, what could I do? So I, I found a little Indians newsletter, part of the Pontiac Owners Club 
and I sent them an email and said, I'm looking for this car. It raced in the 70s. It was gold. It was a Tempest called Wampum 2 in, in raced in Wisconsin. And I got three responses. This is 2009. I got three responses. One guy said, I remember the car. Your dad crashed it. No, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, another guy. Another guy says, I know where that car is. Here it is. And he sends me a picture of a gold Tempest called Wampum in North Carolina. But my dad's car is a Tempest Le Mans, and that car was a Tempest. It wasn't the same car. It just happened That's to be insane. a gold Tempest called Wampum. What are the freaking yeah. What are the odds? <laughs> and, and then another guy calls, and he works at Shelby American in Las Vegas, and he says, I know that car. I lived in Wisconsin then. My buddy Big Mike bought it. A guy who's called Big Mike could also be called Tank, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And turns out he had it. So the guy had the car for 30 years, never did anything with it. It was just a shell. It had no engine, no interior, no suspension. It's got, you know, slicks on it and a shell of a body. And he wanted three grand for it. And I, I live in Chicago. I have no place to put it. And I passed on it. But I always thought, well, maybe I'll get it. And then, so then, fast forward to 2015, I'm thinking of going to the Jefferson Swap Meet, uh, which is always in a field in Jefferson in April, which turns out to be <laughs> a swamp at the time. So I woke up <laughs> on Saturday morning. Where is that? Where is Jefferson? South and west of Milwaukee. Oh, okay. All right. About an, about an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half. And it, uh, so I did go. And then I'm sitting around on Sunday morning, and this guy calls me. I don't know how the heck he got my number. He must be a member of the Little Indians newsletter. And he says, yeah. I saw your dad's car. It was for sale in Jefferson. I was interested in it, but it sold. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I've known where this car is for six years. I never did anything about it. Now it's lost forever. Then um, that's April of 2015, <laughs> May of 2015. We go to the Mama Rally. The guy who bought the car was the guy who lives a mile away from Road America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if he lives a block off that road, I never see the car again in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Damon doesn't spot it. It's gone forever. If he lives anywhere else in anywhere, I never see the car again. But there it is. So now I have another chance to buy it. But I'm still back yeah. to the same problem. It's just, Damon, you saw it. It's just a shell. I right. Mean, to build this into a car again, it would probably cost twenty to $30,000. Oh, at the low end, I would say, yeah. You know, it's just the, so the I, to to me. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just the we'll we'll post a link to the story uh, on our website so people can check it out. And I I love the story because, you know, whenever I, whenever I come across people who or I think there are a lot of people out there whose whose mindset is like, ugh. They're just cars, but this, you know, like, how could you be so attached to just the nuts and bolts and, you know, and, and this story to me illustrates that, okay, they are just steel and paint and rubber and, and stuff, but they are, these cars are, certain cars can become time capsules. There's so much of your family history tied up in this. There are so many memories for you tied up in this of your dad of your family, like both good memories and bad memories. It's not all roses, uh, as you kind of illustrate in the story. And just also the element of like, you, you can't make it up. Like truth is stranger than fiction uh, with this. And to me, it, it just illustrates that if someone kind of doesn't understand why cars 
have a hold on people, this is is an illustration of how they do and how they can really be a part of your life. And it's it's not just the mechanical part. It's the the way humans interact with them and the memories and the history that that get transferred to them that makes them so, you know, compelling and interesting. And if the story isn't emotional enough, there are adorable pictures of Kirk with the car when he was three or four years old. <laughs> Actually, yeah. that was so I, I, I went a little deeper in the story. The story is called uh, The One That Couldn't Get Away. And it's got my name on it, Bell, the one that couldn't get away. It's sort of, we, we do that as like a column, sort of an editorial instead of a, an actual news piece. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I went through the car before it. So Wampum One was a 61 Catalina that I, I don't think I remember. But those pictures are of me when I was two or three are with the Catalina, not with this car. Uh, and then oh. I also show the car the car he had after this, which was a 81 trans uh, firebird. And, uh, yeah, it's just, this car is so crazy for me because my dad was obsessed with drag racing and he built great cars and he was a horrible drag racer. <laughs> he, was a bra- <laughs> he was a bracket racer and you dial in what you think you're going to go. And then it's all about how you react at the at the tree. And if you sleep, you're dead. If you go too soon, you're red light and you lose. And he would do one or the other. <laughs> or or you could. He couldn't under. hit the sweet spot. He could never. Yeah, he was just an awful <laughs> racer. But this <laughs> meant. But the the need, literally, I think for him it was a need for speed. The the you know the endorphins that are created by a kick in the butt and moving uh, fast down a drag strip did it for him yeah and to yeah. me to me that it does it for me too but not in the same way yeah speed is cool but i like to drive on a racetrack that's got curves you know corners to it and so i like a road course and, uh, you know, so my idea was buy this car, build it up as like a what if Trans Am car from the era, from the late 60s, because there was actually a 64 GTO that was turned into a Trans Am car by. No, uh, that was the, the Gray Ghost, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great car. What a cool thing that was. So this is just right. one year earlier, and actually, if you think about it, this might be an actually a better Trans Am car, because the 63 Tempest was this weirdo car that had a torque tube with a, uh, a flexible steel, flexible metal drive shaft, and it had a weird transaxle. So obviously my dad didn't have it set up that way. But this was a car that had really kind of great weight balance that you would build in for like a sports car. You know, I I saw some story in researching this article. I saw some story like this was sort of a BMW 2002 before BMW 2002 existed. No, sort of a compact car. So I never even thought of it that way. I just think of it as, you know, a muscle car, drag car. But that's what it was. In its right. in original. Yeah, that's a so cool car. Build, we're out of yeah, time here. But, but really, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. I said we're out of time here. We need to talk more about this in the future. But you've got a cool story you're working on today at Motor Authority? Yeah, I just put it up today. Um, the uh, the history of the Supra, the five generations Excellent. of the Supra, uh, which is pretty cool. The, you know, it started at A40. A40 and 50 were the first, 60, 70, and then A80 of the 90s, which was such a great car that sold so little, and now and now the new one. Okay, we'll link to that as well. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, this is where we say goodbye to guests, but we're going to extend to you a special education, or invitation, sorry. If you can hang around after the break, we'd like to join us for the big quiz. Okay. All right, sounds good. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back.
Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Damon. Yes. Damon, how can the kids uh, follow you in Twitter land? Uh, you can look me up at Damon Bell Likes Cars. Damon Bell Likes Cars. That's on Twitter. Uh, are you worth following on Twitter? I think I am. Okay. I, 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 get, I agree. I get, I, I get into I get into what you might call granular details. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's exactly why people should follow you. All right. We're sure, fortunate the, that... Go ahead. Go ahead, David. I was just I was just going to say it's the kind of stuff that doesn't uh, fit into. It might be a little too esoteric for a full vehicle review, but interesting details about our test vehicles nonetheless. All right. Well, there you go. Follow Damon on Twitter. All right. We're fortunate that Kirk Bell of Motor Authority was able to stick around for a little while. Now, Kirk, we kind of cut you off there. I kind of cut you off there and we don't know what you're going to do about this car. Well, so the last chapter of the story is about, I don't know, two months ago, the guy uh, called me. Um, we went back in 2015, we went back over there, and I left a note on his door and said, do you have my dad's car? So he called me back then. He said he was going to build it into a drag car. Now he called me two months ago and said, I'm not going to do anything with it. If you want it, I'll sell it to you. So I'm still back in the same situation. Do I want to buy this uh -huh. car or not? And I still have the same limitations. Nowhere to put it, so much money to put into it. I kind of want it, but I don't know. So I'm still in that uh, will I or won't I phase. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I won't. I, yeah, I won't, Kirk, I won't tell you one way or the other because, uh, yeah, the, the, the limitations of not having a place to put it and the obvious uh, financial commitment it would require is that's your decision and yours alone. I just will throw out there that a wicked looking Trans Am uh, lowered race version of that with the patinaed uh, finish that is carried over from your dad's drag car days would make for a killer looking car. That's all I'll say. I, I think it would be cool. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also Damon is volunteering his driveway. If you need some place to leave that. <laughs> okay. okay. How about, how about, Parts scattered across the living room and the kitchen table and uh, stuff like that. You, you can talk to my wife about that. Oh, All right. Well, that is <laughs> Kirk. It's a great story. I reread it today. Everyone should read your story. We're going to link to it, but they can also find it at Motor Authority. Uh, Kirk, you stuck around for the quiz, um, sucker. So we're going to start that now. <laughs> The truth be known, Damon has underperformed recently on the quiz, so you, you can take him. Uh, okay. All right, here are the rules. All right, I've got five questions. You guys both answer the question. Kirk is our guest. He will go first. Uh, the person with the most answers, uh, most correct answers at the end wins. We do have a bonus question that I will read whether or not we need it. Are you guys ready? Go for it. Yes. All right. This is the Car Stuff Power Quiz. This is Color Quiz 4. Kirk, this question goes to you. True or false? Canyon Ridge is an available color on the Ford EcoSport SES. Uh, false. All right. Damon? Uh, uh, I'm going to agree with Kirk and say false. You're both wrong. Canyon Ridge is an available uh, color. It's, it's kind of an orange. It's a little bit like uh, Nissan's Monarch orange. So, uh, I'm all right. just going to say I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you're going to feel really good about not knowing the next question. Um, <laughs> okay. Damon, you go first. The Honda yes. HRV. The Honda HRV Touring. Which of the following is a fake color? Are you ready? Milano Red, Orange Burst, Modern Steel, or El Paso Sage? I'm going to say El Paso Sage. Kirk, same question to you. Modern Steel. Oh, Damon gets it. El Paso Sage is the fake. Oh, wow. 
Damon is on the board with one. All right. Our are next you, vehicle. Are, hey, Kirk, hey, Kirk, are you glad you didn't know that, too? I am. Yeah. I'm, to me, I'm winning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. The Range Rover Velar R Dynamic. I'm going to read you four colors. One of them is a fake. This goes to Kirk. Iger Gray, Byron Blue, Oxford Crystal, or Yulong White? Byron Blue. All right. Damon, same question to you. I think I'm going to agree with Kirk on that. No, Oxford Crystal is the fake. Ah, oh. That one I thought for sure was real. Okay. I knew it was one of the two. All right. We're running out of questions here, and Damon has a thin one-point lead. Question number four. This goes to Damon, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. True or false, Manhattan Noir Metallic is a color available on the Cadillac XT6 Premium Luxury. Mm. I will say false. All right, Kirk, I Manhattan. Will, I will say true. Kirk is correct. You have tied it up, Kirk. <sighs> of course. Cadillac had that uh, alliance with New York, so I think that's why I thought that. Oh, I remember that. That's a good point. All right, last regular question. This goes to Kirk. True or false, the Honda Ridgeline Black Edition is available only in crystal black. False. Damon? Uh, I will say that's false as well. It's actually true. Uh, oh, so we have I a one-to-one one tie. Pardon me? I thought they were doing a white one now or a gray one. Oh, wow. as of yesterday, uh, on their website for 2020, there was only crystal black. Okay. All right. Bonus well, question time. That we both got 20%, which means we're, we're horrible failures. <laughs> this is your big chance to improve that. Um, who went first? So Kirk is our guest. He can go first on the bonus question. Hey, Kirk, how many Chevy Sparks were sold in calendar year 2019? Was it 17,888 or 31,281? 17. All right, Damon. I will agree and say 17. You are both wrong. It was 31,281. <laughs> the color quiz ends in a tie. Oh, all so right. We're both proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. A, a tie and a 20% success rate. Damon, you had a question for us. Actually, what was 16. that? It's 16. That's right, because it went down with the bonus question. Yeah. Uh, so my question, in, in light of Kirk's uh, compelling story about uh, a vehicle that he grew up with and a, and a vehicle that was in his family, uh Let's just open it up to other memories that any of us might have about vehicles that were in our family uh, growing up. Yeah, Tom, I, I, I remember. I, I believe you had a you had a, a, a particular Chevy Nova with an uh, interesting story. Yeah, and I think I may have shared this story before, but long story short, very very long story that I like to tell. Uh, <laughs> as a child, <laughs> as a child, as my Palatine, as my family was moving from Chicago, Illinois, to Palatine, Illinois, we made a lot of trips down something called Northwest Highway. This is before there were faster routes, and uh, uh, there was a rest, uh, an ice cream place along the way called Carvel, which was a small national chain, and I think the only location in the Midwest might have been right there on, on Northwest Highway. But uh, we stopped there one day, and, and I insisted on having a pistachio shake instead of an ice cream cone. My dad didn't really want to argue with me for that long, so we acquiesced, and I got a large pistachio shake, which was among the most disgusting things I've ever tasted. Because you didn't really know what pistachios were at the time, right? You thought no, it was no, no. like key lime or something. Yeah, I had no clue. I had no clue. It was just green. I thought it would be lime. I thought it was going to be refreshing. And it was none of those things. It was a hot day. My solution was to pour it out the window of the car. I realized my dad wasn't watching me, so I slowly <laughs> poured it out the window as we drove home. Here's the interesting thing about that. My dad's car was almost exactly the same color as that shake. 
And when we got home, we left the car. We were walking towards the house. My father turns around, sighs, and goes, I guess you really liked that shake. And when we turned around, the entire car was spattered evenly with, like, with like wind straight lines of shape <laughs> running from the door to the rear bumper. It, it, it was actually very artistic, but uh, yeah. But that Nova, that two door Nova had, had three options. It had an automatic transmission, it had a 307 and an AM radio. And I think we had that car for the better part of a decade and it was really reliable. We drove it across the desert pulling a pop-up camper trailer. And my dad sold it, I think for 300 bucks sometime in the late seventies. Good car. Mm, what year was it? It was a 70. It's 1970. Okay. Yeah. And I think he sold it around 78 or 79. Okay. Well, interestingly, my uh, family vehicle memory is also a 1970 model year vehicle and also a GM product. We had a four-door uh, hardtop 1970 Buick Electra 225 when I was a kid. Kind of wow. the definition of a land yacht. And the thing I remember about it is it had, it was, it was a... I think it was called Bermuda cream. Uh, it was kind of an ivory color with a, a tan interior and it was brocade fabric uh, with kind of an intricate paisley pattern. And brocade doesn't seem like the smartest choice for long-term wearability for a car vehicle interior. But as I recall, it was holding up pretty well. I think it, we still had it when I was first learning to drive. So I might've driven it a couple times and it was just a tank, but the, one of the best memories I have is we would when I, we would have birthday parties as a kid, we would go to a neighboring town where there was a skating rink. And I think there were, you know, I invited a bunch of kids to the neighborhood wedding and I uh, neighborhood wedding, the neighborhood kids to my birthday party. And I believe if my memory is right, we piled 13 little kids into that car <laughs> none of obviously uh modern day safety and, and if i remember right i don't want to get my mom in trouble here but i feel like there was a kid laid a, laying across the package shelf in the back <laughs> but the, car seats and seatbelts weren't as big of a thing back then that wasn't that uncommon then uh, that uh, yeah that wasn't crazy no now kirk your family car at one point was a gto yeah, well, for much of my childhood, it was a 69 GTO Ram Air 4, uh, <laughs> which would be, I don't know, a $100,000 car now, something like that. And it was red with a white interior, a dark red, blood red. And um, I remember we had we had three kids and we had two neighbor kids. So we had five kids in the car. And my mom was driving. It had a Hurst four-speed. My mom was driving. We came to oh, the stoplight. That's even cooler. Yeah, your mom is cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. These dudes came up in, like, their uh, primered Mopar. I forget what it was. You know, early 70s, late 60s Mopar that they obviously, you know, had, like, mag wheels on it. And like, obviously, they just sort of got it out you know, running and they wanted to drag race her and she applied <laughs> and, and whooped their asses with five kids in the car. <laughs> okay. Kirk wins. Kirk wins yeah, the family uh, car memory. <laughs> my my so dad, my dad. In like 1980, 81 for like 1500 bucks. So, uh, Three, four years before I got my license. Yeah. Wow. I remember my dad buying a 1979 Ford Thunderbird. My dad had a habit of watching a local bank that did used car and repossessed car auctions. And and my dad had always purchased fairly inexpensive cars. He was, he was not really into cars all that much, at least not from a luxury or comfort perspective. <laughs> but he, he bought the 79 Thunderbird, and I thought it was the coolest thing he ever did. And it turned out to be a California 302, which made it among the slowest things I had ever driven. And, and uh, my father and I were we were driving from Chicago to Canada to go camping one time. And uh, we learned that on the highway, flat out, it was good for about 78 miles an hour. Uh. <laughs> That's funny. 
Oh, man. And then my dad ordered a series of cutlasses that were pretty much anonymous vehicles, uh, 3.1 and 3.4 liter Chevy engines that were uh, uh, reasonably fuel efficient, but they kept blowing fuel injectors for some reason. Huh. So, Kirk, what, what we did you learn to drive on? I'm sorry, what? What did you learn to drive on? Uh, so we went from a from a GTO to a Pontiac Astra, which was which just oh boy. and then and then to a '78 Ford Fairmont wagon, which be my oh. mom. It was my mom's car, and that became my first car. Sexy. Oh, <laughs> deadly sexy. Yeah. Was that was that the straight six? It was a straight six. I remember one yeah. day it just didn't want to go anywhere. It, it would go like 15 miles an hour. And then and then it was fine. <laughs> it cleaned, up, cleaned itself out. I think yeah. one of the four doors, well, I think the, well, the driver's door opened. Like one of the four doors, the electric windows worked. And yeah, like two of the doors didn't open. It was a great car. <laughs> All right, Kirk, we're running out of time, but remind us again, how can we find the story about your dad's drag racer and the story about the Supra? Uh, both at MotorAuthority.com. The drag racer is called the one that couldn't get away, and then the, the other one's the history of the Supra. Cool. Hey, Damon, any highlights uh, from uh, what's going on at the CG Daily Drive this week? Yes, as always, uh, we've got uh, a handful of reviews uh, this week. In addition to the BMW X6 that we talked about in the first segment, uh, we have a, a quick spin drive of the 2020 Ford Ranger Lariat, a uh, compact pickup, uh, midsize pickup that Ford just relaunched uh, as a 2019 model. Uh, we've got a drive report on that. Uh, and then a really, uh, and speaking of enthusiast cars, this might be one that could be sought after in the future, uh, the Genesis G70. Uh, we've talked about yeah. the Genesis brand in the past, and this is a surprisingly impressive uh, BMW 3 Series Audi A4 fighter. Uh, and the, we had the top line uh, 3.3T model with the sport package. Very impressive sports sedan. Uh, something of a bargain, too, when you compare it against the, those European rivals. Uh, we've got a full drive report on that. Uh, and speaking of Pontiacs, uh, we often uh, publish, uh, repost uh, articles that have run in Collectible Automobile Magazine. And we've got a Cheap Wheels article on the 1992 to 99 Pontiac Bonneville SSEI. Now, that car is nowhere near as cool as a 60s GTO, but no, in the mid-90s, no. that was pretty special no. for a mainstream GM uh, four-door sedan, a supercharged engine, and uh, yeah. definitely some kind of sporty tuning. Um, cool. All right. And, Dana, uh, we got to wrap and then, there. All right. Yeah, that, that's all the time we got time for today. Uh, Kirk Bell from the Motor Authority, thank you for joining us today. Special thanks to co-host Damon Bell. All sorts of thanks to producer Paul and the good folks at WCPT AM820. As always, thanks to my radio mentors, Steve and Johnny. I'm Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. We will be back next week.